you might be wondering why we're playing a 90s TV commercial for McDonald's. Uh, it's not that we sold ad time to them for Easter, knowing that we'd have a crowd, thinking we could make some extra cash. Uh, and it wasn't just for the sake of nostalgia. It actually ties in to what we're talking about today. Uh, but, but the point is that, that this little competition we see between, uh, if you don't know their names, it's Larry Bird and Michael Jordan, uh, is, is that it's not just tough that they were making the shots, but the thing that kind of amped up the difficulty of what they were doing was the fact that they were were calling their shots, right? That they, they weren't accidentally accomplishing these feats, right? They were like, no, 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 it's going to bounce off this, then that, then that. And, and, and the greater the number of collisions that occurred, right, the harder it would be to accomplish that thing, right? So that's kind of, just keep that in mind as, as we're going through the message today. And if you're interested today uh, in a Bible, I actually have some people who would gladly pass them out. Uh, I've already got them like bookmarked on Luke chapter 24, which is where we're reading. And you can actually take it home with you if you want it as a gift. That's our gift to you. And you might notice that also on the handout, the bulletin on the back, I've got all of this bonus content is what I call it. Just like if you're flicking through a DVD or a Blu-ray, uh, right where there's the extended scenes or whatever. I've got all sorts of stuff that's not in the sermon, but if you want to do some digging on your own time, if you want to investigate, if you want to kind of figure out what's this about, I've just got some suggested things that you could look into there. And I've even, I've even got a little QR code on it. So you can use your cell phone in church as long as you're not playing Angry Birds. And you could take a picture of it and you can actually see the entire sermon all of my notes, you can see the same thing I see, right? So all of the hyperlinks, you can go see it for yourself, right? Because I don't want you to just believe me for sake of like, I don't, I don't have any credibility. I mean, I was a math teacher a year ago, right? I wasn't even a pastor a year ago. Who put this guy up here? I don't know. But, uh, but either way, I want you to believe something is true because it's actually true, not just because I happen to say it, right? So I want to give you the opportunity to investigate, now, one of the things I want you to think about in terms of calling it is that when it came to Jesus, right, dying on the cross and raising from the dead three days later, this wasn't something that caught God off guard. This wasn't something that surprised him. He wasn't up in heaven and being like, oh no, they're killing Jesus. What am I going to do now? Like, oh, that was my one plan. No, no, no. Like, it was all a part of his plan. And the reason that we know that is because he called it. Right? He called his shot, right? He called it from the beginning. He kind of declared this was his plan. This is what he intended on doing, right? So he wasn't just rolling with the punches. He didn't have a flow chart of like, if this, then that. He called it. This was exactly what he intended would happen. That the Son of Man would in fact suffer and then three days later rise again. And it wasn't a surprise to him, even though even though Jesus told his disciples, even though the Pharisees should have known from reading the Old Testament, they didn't quite get it or they didn't have the faith for it at the time, but he made it pretty clear, right? So, so this idea of, of God being able to call his shot is something that is actually unique to him in terms of this degree of, of uh, amount of time and, and accuracy that he puts into the detail, right? It's, it's different than just Michael Jordan saying, like, I'm going to bounce it off this, get in the hoop, which I know, guys, you don't have, I don't actually believe they were making those shots, right? So you don't have to, like, be like, I think Brian believes they were doing that, right? It was all in the editing, I understand, right? Even back then, 93 or whatever, they could do that, right? That's not, not impressive. But, 
But this passage in Isaiah 46, uh, this is what God declares about himself in terms of his ability to predict the future, right? It's not something mysterious. This is what he says. I've got it up on the screen so you can read along. He says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. All right, so God is saying that this quality is something that is unique to him. Right, that when we see this calling the end from the beginning, right, there's, there's only one person who can actually do that. Right, there's no one else in the universe that is, is able to do the things that God can do. He's saying this is unique to him. And, and he starts this off saying that he is God and there is no other. Right, so, so he is the only one. So we don't get to redefine who God is. We don't get to, to pick the God we want. If he, if he disagrees with something that we like, right? He's it. Like, I can't just like move myself to another universe and be like, I'm going to find another God. Like, I don't have that option. He's, he's saying that he is it. So I don't get to create a God with the characteristics that I want it to have. I mean, unless I want to be delusional, which is an option. I, I, it's, it's, it's an option, but, but the point is he is it. And unfortunately, the God that we have, the one that we got stuck with, so to speak, He's loving, he's merciful, right? He's, he's benevolent, he, he is infatuated with us, right? So it's, it's a good thing we got this God in our universe, right? This is great. Not that I believe that there's more gods in more universes, don't worry. But either way, God claims that a unique trait about himself is that he has the ability to call the end from the beginning. And we see examples of this throughout the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want to point out the Bible wasn't written by one human being. All right, it's not like, you know, the Harry Potter series where they knew what was going to happen and they're going to have this like surprise ending or something. They, they, it wasn't one human that could have planned it all out. It was written by over 40 authors over hundreds of years. Okay, so, so it was written by different people, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we know that in terms of these prophecies and their fulfillment, they were written hundreds of years before they were fulfilled. That there's historical evidence that like, okay, yeah, this, this document in the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? This passage from Isaiah, this was written way before this event happened. So it wasn't just like some sort of like, ah, I'm going to, you know, just write it all at once and try to trick people or anything. So prophecy, what's nice about it is it, it's an authentication system, right? It, it can indicate who the author was, that, that, that there's something extraordinary about the text, all of these, these books of the Bible coming together, that, that it, it authenticates that the person who wrote it had the ability to see the end from the beginning. Right? That, that's what it ends up serving as. It serves as a means to authenticate truth. And, and what I want to point out about, about truth and in terms of what we believe is, is oftentimes people just want to believe what is convenient. People want to believe what is popular or what is culturally acceptable. And that's not necessarily how truth works. All right? Like I said, I used to be a math teacher, and a lot of people, they don't like math, but it doesn't make math not true. Right? Just because you don't like something doesn't nullify the, the validity of it. Right? So, so that's the same thing here. And, and unlike the McDonald's commercial promised us, the, the God we got, it's not what you want is what you get. It's, it's we get the God we got. Right? So he is who he is. And in, in terms of bias or all sorts of things like you know, a dog being dogmatic, 
Even people that we would think like, well, we can give credibility to this person, right? We can trust what this person says. What they say has to be the truth about reality. And, and even scientists in culture are extremely dogmatic, right? That whenever, a, a, this happens all the time, where whenever a scientist comes up with a new theory based on evidence, the, the rest of the scientific population, they're, they're resisting it. And sometimes it's not until decades after the founder's death that it finally is like, oh, wow, that guy was right all along, even though they had the evidence, but they, they wanted to hold to whatever their worldview was at the time, whatever theory they felt comfortable with at the time. All right, so, so I just want to point out that, that it's highly unlikely that what our culture might believe in general now happens to be entirely true. And, and even if we thought it was, I would just want to point out that our culture believes differently than almost every other culture on the planet right now. And absolutely differently than every other culture that's existed on this planet ever. So it would be kind of like presumptuous to assume that just if I just believe whatever my culture believes, that it's probably the truth. Right? That, that would be quite the presumption to make. So, so the point that I, I want us to consider is that I, I don't want you guys just to come to an Easter gathering and be like, oh, that was nice, or you know, maybe I'll do that again next year. I want you to validate whether or not what Jesus did and said was true. I want, I want you to evaluate what the Bible says. Because it seems as though if, if all of this effort went into prophecy, we're like if there was a message from beyond us, right, that all of this evidence is laid out, that that a lot of effort went into this, and I would hope that you wouldn't just walk away and ignore it. Just be like, eh, I don't know, right? Or, or, or that you wouldn't be afraid of, of what it might say and then have that lead you away of like, I'm not going to investigate it because what if it says this about my life, right? What, what if it disagrees with what I'm already comfortable with? And, and I wouldn't want you to water down the truth and just be like, nah, I think Jesus just kind of told everyone to be nice to each other. And that was it. But I want to point out that Jesus wasn't killed because he told people to be nice, right? That, that's like not the case. He was murdered because he told people he was God, right? That, that upset some people that upset the religious elite in his community, right? That, that upset the Roman authorities when the religious elite said he was claiming to be a king. Right? So it, it kind of shook things up. So I'd want to find out, is what Jesus said true? Is what he claimed about himself true? Because if he was just a good teacher and then claimed these things, he's not a very good person if he is deceiving people. Right? He wouldn't be a very good teacher if he was delusional about his, his godhood. Right? That, that wouldn't be good. And, and it's this sort of question that I encountered as a 16-year-old. Right? I, I grew up in a church. But I don't want you to believe something just because your parents believe it, right? I grew up in a church and I came to this question. I was like, if, if, if God is real, if what this book says is true, then it should be the most important thing in my life. And at that point, I knew that it wasn't. So I would hope that everyone has an experience where they're able to authenticate the Bible, where they, they take it at its face value. They, they search it out. They examine it. And, and they consider, is this true? Is this something that I need to believe? And, and the cool thing about God is that he doesn't want you to take a blind step of faith. All right, faith just means believing someone. 
Faith is just a matter of trusting someone. And just like I didn't just like trust my wife the first day I met her. I wasn't just like, yeah, I'm going to marry you and you can, like, I'm just trust you with all my money. Here you go. Right? I wouldn't expect you to just trust God based off of what I say or off of your first experience or encounter with him. Right? And God doesn't expect that either. He, he gives you sufficient evidence for you to take those steps. All right? And, and then eventually... Once he's gained your trust, then you can take some bigger steps. Like, all right, like, I trust this guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out on this, right? If he says this is true, he's, he's proved himself true all of these other times, I'm going to rely on him. And it's, it's, it's a result of that relationship that then you can come to believe God and what he says. Now, now with prophecy, I know that it sounds mystical, right? It sounds unusual, right? It's kind of weird or kooky, like... You know, like, it's just like these old cultures that believed in prophecy or whatever. But, but I want to point out what, what seems unusual to us is actually ordinary and easy for God, right? We, we don't think it's amazing that we can recall the past, right? That I could, you know, we, we're not surprised that, you know, you could describe last Tuesday in some amount of detail, right? That's not that impressive, right? We think that's ordinary for us to be able to, as beings in the present, recall the past. But for God, it's just as easy for him to talk about the future, right? It's not hard for him to do. It's not like he's like, I'm going to really have to work at this one. Like, no, no, no. It's just like, as easy as we could recall what we did last Tuesday, he can tell us what's going to happen next. That's what he's just able to do. So it's not some sort of magic that he conjures up. It's just an ability that he has. This is an analogy. It doesn't perfectly convey the whole situation, but, but it captures part of this idea. Im- imagine you're cast on a reality TV show, right? And, and you, you, know, you go in and there's no script, right? You're, you're with all of these different people and the, sure the director, producer wants entertaining things to happen, but all of the decisions you make are your own. All of the things you say, you completely are accountable for. Right? It's your own free will. It's completely authentic that you say and do all the things you do, all the interactions you have with the other cast members. Right? That's all authentic. But from God's perspective, it's like, so we're living in this sort of environment where we're just free will, we're making decisions. But from God's perspective, it's as though he has seen the reruns of your show dozens and dozens of times. So he's not surprised by the end. Right? He knows the end of every episode. And it's not just because they foreshadow it a lot at the at the end, beginning of a commercial break, right? Like, God knows the end. Now, now I want to point out that, that there's a little bit more than that. It's not just that he knows the end, because God is also actively involved. All right, that's where that analogy breaks down. God is actively involved, and that's what it said in that passage, is that he can accomplish what he wants, right? That he can do the things that he wants to. He can make things happen, Right? That he has both the knowledge where he can predict, but he also has the skill to be involved in, in our world. That he can actively change things. Right? So just like those, those basketball players, they weren't you know, prophetic in their ability of like, I'm going to make this shot. It was, they were trying to utilize their skill to accomplish the thing that they were saying they could do. Right? And God has got both where God can predict the future, and not like a weatherman with some mathematical models. He knows the future, right? But God also has the skill to make it happen. He has the power to, to be involved. So he has the ability to accomplish it. The, way, the word we use to describe this is that he is sovereign, right? That he is in charge of all things. 
And we see this throughout the Bible that God, even when there's people that are directly working against him, right, when there's people that are trying to stop his plan from succeeding, God's able to use the people that resist him and demonstrate even more of his glory, right? Like, like Pontius Pilate, right? He, he, he put Jesus to death. Or Judas, the betrayer, right? Or the high priest Caiaphas, right? All of these guys, you would think, oh man, they're, they're not like, they're not on team Jesus, right? They're, they're working against him, but that didn't mess God up, right? They were, they were playing right into his plan the whole time. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, that, that none of the rulers of this age, had they understood it being God's plan, uh, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, right? They didn't know that this was part of God's plan, but yet God used even the people that resisted him, that denied and betrayed him, right, to accomplish his will. And the good news is, for, for you and me, is that God's also able to use screw-ups, right? People that, even though we do believe in him, we still make mistakes, right? Or, or even though, like, we've got a past that's not so flattering, right, that God still wants to use us, Right? Just like God can use the person that resists his will, he can use the person who is pursuing his will and failing miserably at it. Right? So like, that's one thing that God can do. And, and we see that with, with Peter, who denies Jesus, but yet God still uses him mightily. Right? We see that with, with James and John, some of his disciples that are a little bit overzealous. They're like, Jesus, that village didn't like you very much. Should we call down fire on them? Jesus is like, man, you guys don't even know what spirit you're of. Like, what are you talking about? Right, right, like... He's able to use imperfect people. Or the Apostle Paul, before he became an apostle and a Christian, he had, he had a hunting license for Christians. He was out hunting them down to imprison and kill them. And Jesus is like, I'm going to use that guy. I like him. Right? I'm going to use that person, and I'm going to change his life and use him for my glory. Right? So, so God is sovereign, and he can accomplish his will, whatever it may be. So, so in terms of prophecy, because I, w- I want to give you some, some specifics, and, and on the bonus content, there's articles that you can go read about the over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. But, but there are things that Jesus, if he were only a man, could not have accomplished, right? There are things about my life that I can't control. I mean, if I, if I tell you that uh, this, you know, tomorrow I'm going to eat a turkey sandwich and I accomplish that, Right, like you, you wouldn't think that I'm prophetic, right? That, that's not very impressive. But, but there are things about my life that I have zero control over and that you have zero control over. So let's take a look at, at eight prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. I realize this was 10. I used, I used to be the math teacher, apparently, but uh, I, I left that job. They didn't fire me. But uh, <laughs> although I have been fired from math teaching before, but that, that's another story. But here's eight prophecies for us to consider that Jesus, as a man, would have had zero control over, right? The place of his birth, the time of his birth, the manner of his birth, the fact that he was betrayed by a friend, right? The manner of his death, people's reactions to him, the fact that they mocked him, right? That they spit on him, that they, they you know, looked upon him in different ways, the fact that, that he was pierced in his side, right? That the, the centurion, right after he's dead, he kind of jabs him in the side check are you are you still alive there right that that was all prophesied or or the fact that he was buried in a rich man's tomb these are all things that a person wouldn't have control over in and of themselves right but like i said there's over 300 prophecies that jesus fulfilled and 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 
All right, guys, here we go. Let's assign, like, if we were to assign, like, a probability of the number of people that were ever born in Bethlehem, of all the people that ever existed, right, we could get a number, right? Or the number of people who have ever been betrayed by a friend, the number of people who have ever been stabbed in a side, and we could even come up with some conservative estimates for some of these things. And then in terms of probability, the math won't last very long, I promise. But in terms of probability, I would just multiply all of those independent events and find out what's the likelihood of, of one person accomplishing all of these simultaneously. Okay? So if, this isn't my idea, I've got an article that you can read about it, but, uh, but if, if you do that, for these eight prophecies, you get uh, one in ten to the 17th power. Okay? That, that's one with 17 zeros after it, which is more than the number of people that have ever lived. Okay? Just so you're aware. So, so this is kind of God's way of like saying, like, if someone's fulfilling these things, pay attention to that guy. Right? That's the guy that I set up for this reason. All right, so, so this probability is the same as if we took the state of Texas, and I don't know how big it is, I'm from New England, and we filled it two feet deep with silver dollars and marked one of them, right, and then kind of shuffled it all around, and we sent someone blindfolded into the state of Texas, and that they were able to find that one silver dollar for the first time, first pick, right? That's the same probability of, of someone fulfilling eight of these prophecies, all right, so the same guy, then he goes back and, and he takes 48 of the prophecies, the significant ones, because I know that there are some that, you know, like, well, way more people did that. You know, like, that's not super rare or uncommon. But if we take 48 of the ones significant to the Messiah, all right, and we do the same thing, multiply the probabilities, we get 1 in 10 to the 157th power, all right, which I've got the number up there that I tried to fit it on the screen, right? So that's, that's a big number. All right, that, that's extremely unlikely that if this happened by chance or that if someone was even trying to manipulate this into happening, that they could actually accomplish this. And, and just in terms of perspective, the high estimate for the number of atoms in the universe is 10 to the 80th power. Okay, 10 to the 80th power. So, so the best way I could come up with an analogy is take, all right, take the universe and then let's zoom into one atom and let's replace it with another universe of atoms. Okay, so we make like a turducken of the universe of every atom with another universe inside of it. And now we'd have a number that's roughly in scale to this, and then finding the exact atom on the first pick would be the equivalent of getting that, that probability. All right, so there's a degree of confidence I can have that when God calls it from the beginning, time after time after time, like, this starts to get kind of reliable, right? This is something that I can begin to believe in, or at least... I should investigate, right? Sorry for the math, there won't be any more of that. But, uh, but, but prophecy is God's way of, of giving the identity of the Messiah, right? He wanted us to find a way to pinpoint the person in all of history who's the guy he raises up for this cause, for the salvation of all mankind, all right? Just like in a handful of lines, right? Just a few short lines of text, you could write on an envelope, and you could mail it to a unique person of the 7 billion on the planet right now, right? It doesn't take a lot of information to pinpoint a single person out of everyone on the planet, right? Just like three lines of, of text. And that's the same thing that God did where he's like, okay, I want to make it evident that when someone steps out of history, right, onto the stage, that you know that you know that this is the guy that I sent. So this is, was just God's way of identifying the Messiah. And not only did the Old Testament predict it, but Jesus himself 
predicted that he would die and that he would raise again in three days, right? This is something that we see throughout, throughout the Bible. I've also got that on your bonus content if you want to see those passages. And, and even though it was against the wishes of his disciples, they were like, no, 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 you can't die. Like, you're, you're the guy. Like, we can't do what you're doing. Like, no one's as excited about us. Like, Jesus, no, 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 this isn't God's plan. But even though the disciples didn't want it to happen, Jesus was like, no, this is, this is the plan that my father has for me. This is what I'm going to do. So, so I want to point out that Jesus taught prophecy. And the cool thing is that Jesus taught prophecy before he died and after he died. Right? So, like, if I wasn't convinced by him before, like, after this dude just rose from the dead and is talking to me, like, I'd be like, all right, like, I'm probably going to believe what he thinks. Right? That's, that's pretty convincing evidence, uh, in addition to the fact that it'd be nearly impossible to fulfill all of this stuff. So, so after Jesus dies, right, the, the, there's a couple instances where people run to the, the tomb and they're like, where's the body three days later? They're like, what happened? And they, sure, they get some messages from angels and different things, but there still is like... I don't know, did Jesus really raise from the dead? There's still some confusion among the people. And that's where I pick it up in Luke 24, where, where there's these two followers of Jesus, not the original 12, and they're, they're walking on this road to Emmaus. And they're just kind of walking along, and they're like, man, I cannot believe what happened this weekend. Like, the guy that we were following is dead, and now his body is gone, and we, we're hearing these stories that he's risen, and I don't know if I want to believe, you know, Mary, though. Did that really happen, or... And, and, and they're walking along, and, and Jesus suddenly comes up and walks along with them. But they actually don't recognize him. All right? And, and Jesus is, like, just talking, and, and he's pretending as though he didn't know what happened in Jerusalem. Right? Like, he didn't check Twitter that weekend. Or, like, what, what's going on? Like, and they're like, what do you mean you don't know what happened? Right? This, this mighty prophet of God who was, who was mighty in word and deed did all of these things, and then they crucified him. Like, you haven't heard about this guy? Like, he was, he was healing the sick, giving the blind sight, right? He was doing all of these things. And Jesus, I guess, just like playing along with it. Was, I, I assume God has a sense of humor, apparently. But, but Jesus actually, like, he's walking with them, and he starts teaching them from the Old Testament. This is what it says in Luke 24. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe what the prophets has, have spoken. So he's kind of like, come on, you knuckleheads. Like, you guys should have known this, but he's not reprimanding him too much. Verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus taught these guys out of the Old Testament all of the things about this, this guy, uh, all about the Messiah. And he's like, listen, listen, you can believe this, right? And, and, and you know, they're just kind of impressed, I, I guess. Like, and, and he just points out that it was necessary, it was part of God's plan for the Messiah to suffer before he entered into his glory. This was, was part of his plan. So he taught them from the Old Testament, and he, he points out elsewhere in the Bible as well that the, the whole Bible is about him. It's all about God's plan for salvation and forgiveness for us. Right? So, so these two disciples, they, you know, eventually they realize it's Jesus and he's like, bam, he like disappears. So you could see why some of them thought he was a ghost at one point, right? And, and he, they, he disappears and these guys are like, whoa, that was him. Like, and, and then they run back to Jerusalem to tell the 11 main disciples, right? And they get there and those guys are like, I don't know, really? 
right? Because no one's really sure at this point. I mean, I wouldn't, like, if you told me your friend is rose from the dead, I don't know, I don't think I'd believe you, right? Right off the bat. Like, I'd want some evidence. And that's good. That's a good thing, right? I don't want us to be gullible, right? So, so they tell the disciples, and, and they're kind of like, I don't know. And, and then what happens is they're in this room, and Jesus is like, I guess he walks through the wall or something, but he just appears to them and they're like, whoa, like what's going on? And they're like, it's a ghost. And Jesus is like, I'm not a ghost, guys, come on, right? He's like, here, here, look, I'm real, like feel me, I'm real. And he's like, in fact, like, give me something to eat, I'm hungry, right? And he eats food with them. He's like, I'm not a ghost, ghosts don't eat food, right? And they're they're like, okay. And, And then once again, Jesus ends up teaching them. Verse 44, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day raise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So what I want to point out is that the disciples had to be convinced that Jesus was who he said he was, right? Even after he rose from the dead, even after like this all happened, the guys on the road to Emmaus, they were just like, they called him a good prophet. They didn't call him the Messiah. They still weren't convinced, right? So that sort of like, you know, caution to believe things is okay. And and Jesus then teaches them from the law and it's the prophecy that convinces them finally, even though he'd been telling them for the whole three years he was doing earthly ministry with them, right? But, but the point is that throughout the entire Bible, that's what this passage says, right? The law of Moses, right? All the prophets, the Psalms even. And I used to even think that. I was like, I don't know, really? Like, so like, you're saying that in some of like King David's song lyrics, there were messages about the Messiah, right? I used to think that. And then I'm like, oh, oh, Jesus taught that. Okay, that's pretty convincing. All right, like I guess I'm going to believe that too then, right? Uh, and, and it turns out that as a result of his death and resurrection that we can now have repentance and forgiveness of sins preached, right? This was God's purpose, right? He, he didn't just like want to like put on the, this big fancy show of like, and the, like all of this prophecy being fulfilled. Like what was the reason for this, right? Why did the son of man have to suffer and die? And it was so that we could be forgiven, so that we could receive mercy, right? That, that salvation was made available to us. And what I want to point out is that the law, us trying to be good in and of ourselves is insufficient, right? That as a, a method to try to be right with God, trying to be good enough isn't good enough. And it's taught throughout the Bible, right? So this, this was God's plan, that the, the law of the Old Testament was insufficient. It was foreshadowing his, his overall plan for salvation. Romans puts it this way, that, that the law was intended to point out our sin, all right? That it exposes the sin in us. It exposes our need for a savior. And then the Old Testament also reveals Jesus as the remedy to our problem. Right? So the law wasn't intended to be the means by which we are saved. There's no such thing as being good enough. Right? Check this passage in Galatians 2. It says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So this is the idea, is that 
we can't be made right with God by trying to keep the law. There's, there's no way that any of us can be good enough to meet God's standard. That, that it's impossible. And if we think that, that it is possible, then it nullifies all of the things that Jesus did. Right? It treats what Jesus did as meaningless. It ignores the value of the grace of God. It's basically saying, yeah, I know Jesus could be like a way to God, but he didn't really have to die because I can get to heaven on my own. Right? That, that's called self-righteousness. If we think that we're good enough on our own. And that's the sort of thing that Jesus encountered with the religious leaders of his day where they, they didn't think they had any sin issues. They didn't think they needed to be free from sin. They were like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. Like, I don't need this. Right? And, and the reality is that we do need it. And that's the question is then why did Jesus die? Right? If he did only come to tell us be nice to each other, then what was the whole reason for his suffering? Right? Why did he have to go through all this? Right? Then there was no value in him doing that. Let's have the worship team guys come on up. And I just want to talk about this as they're setting up. That no one wanted there to be another way for salvation more than Jesus himself. He wished that there was another way that people could be saved. That another way that people could be right with God. The night before he died, right, he, he goes to his disciples and he's like, listen, I'm in agony to the point of death. And he says, just stay awake and let me pray. And, and he goes and prays and he, he, he asks the father, he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this judgment pass. Don't let me go through with this, God. If, there, if there's another way, if it's possible, can we avoid this? And he says, nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus wished there was another way for salvation when he was on the earth. And the fact that God didn't answer that prayer implies that there is no other way. Right? That we can't be made right with God without Jesus. Right? And, and that's, that's the whole idea. That's why he died and suffered, that we could be forgiven. He died to offer us grace. And we shouldn't just count that grace as meaningless. So that's what I'd ask you to do, is, is please value that grace. Recognize the lengths to which God went to get a message to us. And investigate it. Right? You, I'm not saying you have to believe this way right now. Right? I'm saying... I think it's worth looking into, right? That, that this seems so significant, so important throughout all of history that, that you should evaluate this for yourself, right? So don't ignore the message. And, and the good news is that you can receive that grace today. If you feel like you've come to a place where you can trust God, that you've, right, like, you know, I, I, I know, I know that I should trust God. You can make that decision today, and it's not through confessing your sins to me. It's just between you and God, during the rest of the service here, you can make your heart right with God, right? That you can just say, God, I repent, right? I turn from my old life, my old sins, and I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me, right? And then through trusting God, eventually, the Bible says that we have to acknowledge that he's, he's in charge, that he's Lord, right? That he's, he's God, 
right? So that we then, instead of doing our old way of life, we turn to try to live life his way. And I understand that takes trust. Just be like, I'm going to surrender the way I do things. I'm going to let my life go the way you'd want it to go. All right? So you might not be there today, but at least start asking questions. Start searching it out. And if today happens to be the day that you make this commitment to God, that you receive forgiveness, come talk to me. Right? Or if you have questions, come talk to me. I'll be around at the end of the gathering. Shoot me an email. Call me. I've got the information on the handout. Right? I, I want to be able to answer your questions because a lot of people have hang-ups with God and every time they're a misunderstanding. So I'd love to be able to walk you through that with Scripture. Right? But, but we celebrate today that God wasn't surprised when Jesus died. Right? That God's plan for salvation was called from the beginning. Right? That this was his plan for saving us and that he demonstrated his love for us in that he was willing to walk as, as one of us and to lay his life down for us when we were, as the Bible says, his enemies. He called us friends. Right? So that's what we're excited about today. That's why we love Easter. Right? The fact that God sealed the deal in who Jesus was by being like, yeah, death cannot hold him. Right? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And that, right, he laid his life down and he has the power to take it back up again, right? There's nothing that could stop Jesus because he is who he said he was. So let's, before we sing some songs, I just want to pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that we can gather, that, that as friends and family, we can pursue you, God. I thank you, God, that you don't expect us to take a giant step of blind faith, but, but that we can reasoning. And, and trusting in you, be able to step out in faith. That, God, that you provide evidence for yourself, that, that all who seek you will find you. That, God, you've revealed yourself through your word, through the prophets, and in these end days, through the voice of your own son. So I thank you, God, that you reveal yourself to all of us, that all of us gain a better understanding for who you are and why you came. I ask that you would make forgiveness a reality to us, that whether it's the first time we experience it or whether we've heard this a thousand times, that we would be excited about the forgiveness that you offer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.